This is most certainly true. In the greatest act of selfless mercy, God sent His own Son into our world to die for your sins. And we can't stop talking about it. We now present this sermon, recently delivered at Grace, to you. second reading from the letter of James in chapter 2 is the basis for the sermon today. My brothers and sisters, believers in our Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here is a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown papered packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Hey, very good. I think some of you know that song. That was a song that was sung and made famous by Julie Andrews in the the classic movie, The Sound of Music. And she sang it to serve as a reminder for those troubling times, those times where it's maybe a little frightening or or burdensome. Just remember your favorite things and everything will be okay. So what are some of your favorite things? What's your favorite color? Or your favorite ice cream flavor? What's your favorite place to go and relax to? What's your favorite Sunday afternoon routine? Kids, who's your favorite parent? Or parents, who's your favorite kid? Oh, wait, don't answer that one, right? You know, it's okay to really like something. 
and to have a favorite thing like a color or food or vacation destination and so on. But when it comes to favoritism in relationships, it can get a little messy. Parents, if you show favoritism to one of your children, you're probably going to cause some resentment to the other kids. And children, if you are showing favoritism, one parent over the other, you're probably going to cause some hurt feelings. Favoritism has a way of just tearing apart and breaking relationships and even families. For instance, there was a father who had 12 sons, and he had a favorite son. His favorite son was named Joseph. And he loved Joseph far more than all of his other sons. In fact, he treated him better, nicer, bought more things for him. In fact, even fancy clothes. Well, how do you feel that, uh, that Joseph's brothers felt about this whole deal? Well, they were jealous. They hated their brother Joseph. They could never find a good thing to say about him. And in fact, they even tried to kill him once. All because of favoritism. Now, perhaps you have experienced the, the reality of, of that rivalry and resentment that can come from favoritism that shows itself in a family. Or maybe you're the one who's been guilty of causing rifts like that because of favoritism. But you see, favoritism is a problem that doesn't just find its way into families that are related by blood. But favoritism also works its way into families that are joined together by the blood of Jesus, Christians. In a book of the Bible, like the one that we have before us today, that so much addresses what Christian life looks like, in other words, what it means to walk with Jesus as a child of God, James addresses this very topic of favoritism. And right off the bat, this is what he says in the first verse. My brothers and sisters, in other words, family in Christ, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Well, there it is. There's no room for favoritism in the family of Christ. But I imagine that the original hearers of these words maybe had some of the same thoughts that are perhaps going through your head right now. Well, I'm glad I don't deal with favoritism or struggle with that in my life. So, hey, James, let's go on to the next topic. But James doesn't jump to the next topic. He shares an illustration that I think shows how favoritism really does creep its way into the hearts of every single one of us. His illustration goes like this. Two people walked into church on a Sunday morning. One guy was dressed up in this well-tailored, crisp, fashionable suit. He was clean-cut and chiseled and just walked with an air of confidence. Members immediately went over to introduce themselves to him, to shake his hand, to give him a tour of the church and invite him to sit with them next to them in their pews. All the while, they're thinking, man, this is the guy that we have to get to be a member of our church. He could be a huge asset for us. The other person that came into church that morning seemed like he maybe came straight in off of the job site. 
His clothes were all disheveled, his hair unkempt. He had a little bit of a smell to him and looked a little dirty. He got the, the cursory glance and the obligatory smile, but no one really went out of their way to go over and greet him. Nobody really wanted him to sit next to them. In fact, as he was walking down the aisle, people were hoping that he would pass up their pew and maybe sit up front or in the, the side love seats or something like that. Some people were fine that he was here today as long as he doesn't cause a ruckus. And others were hoping this was a one-time visit. Have you ever done that? Have you ever given preferential, uh, preferential guidance and, and, and direction to someone just because of what they looked like on the outside or because you're hoping to get something from them? Take a moment with me this morning to do a gut check, will you? Have you ever given preferential treatment to someone that you feel comfortable with or because they dress like you or look like you? Are you much more excited to talk with someone because you feel like they're going to help you out in life, like that guy is going places and I want to ride the train with him, that kind of thing? Or on the flip side, do you ever look around at the people sitting around you and start thinking that that person's beneath me? They're not worth my time. Why are they even here? Do they even belong? To my shame, I'm guilty of that. And I imagine that you are too. James summarizes his illustration with this conclusion. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? It's the same thing that the Lord God said to the people of Israel back in the Old Testament when he was giving them his law and instructions. It's recorded for us in Leviticus chapter 19. Do not perverse justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. So often, you and I are very quick to make judgments, and often they're wrong judgments, because we judge based on how we feel things ought to be, what is good and right in my mind, or what's going to benefit me, not what's good and right in God's eyes. And then those wrong judgments show itself in the way that we treat each other. And yet God doesn't just throw this instruction in front of you, says, do this, but he also shows us why it's wrong. You see, the poor, who are, are often, so often overlooked, are the very ones that God says are going to be rich in faith and will one day inherit the eternal family of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. In other words, God values the poor and his promise of forgiveness and life is for them. And so often it's the rich and powerful, those who we naturally want to favor. God says those are the ones who are exploiting you, who are dragging you into the courts, who are taking advantage of you and only using you for their benefit, who bring God's name and the Christian faith into disrepute. You see, favoritism has a way of disgracing the Christian faith. And favoritism has a way of disgracing the very glory 
that belongs to our Lord God. And James is pretty blunt about this truth. He says, favoritism is sin. And it makes you a lawbreaker. Now, maybe you're thinking, well, pastor, come on. I understand favoritism is wrong, but there are a whole lot of sins that are much bigger than that. James cites Jesus from a a moment when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responded by saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And, as James records for us, love your neighbor as yourself. Do you realize that when you don't love your neighbor, you are hiding the very glory of God from them? In fact, any time that you don't show love to your neighbor in any way, whether it's the examples that that James sets before us, things like adultery or murder, when you hurt or harm your neighbor, or even when it's favoritism, you break God's law. And you fall well short of the standards, the demands that God has of keeping his law perfectly. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. You know, it's kind of like having a test of 1,000 questions and the only way to pass it is to get every single one of them right. And you get just one wrong, one little slip mistake that you just, you read it wrong and you knew what the right answer was, but you got it wrong. Well, guess what? You still failed. And at that point, you might as well have gotten 999 more of those questions wrong because the result is still the same. Or imagine God's law like a pane of glass. It doesn't matter where on that pane of glass you strike it with a hammer. The whole thing is still going to shatter So just how serious is the sin of favoritism? Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But here's the deal. If you were to come into the presence of God all on your own, you would stand before him covered in the stains of your sins with the stench of death trailing behind you, and with all this baggage of guilt and shame and all the other junk that we carry around in our lives, you don't look clean-cut and all put together. And God shouldn't care at all about you. He shouldn't give you the time of day. He shouldn't even give you a cursory glance. And yet, And yet, God loves you. And he calls out to you with his spirit. And he invites you to have a relationship with him, and it's all because of Jesus. And we find here that mercy triumphs over judgment. And nowhere do we see that important truth on display more than when we start to look at the very life of Jesus and what he did for you and for me. You see, Jesus was wrongly judged without mercy. He was despised by the religious elite of his time. He didn't look like the the kind of promised Savior that they were looking for. He wasn't all that clean cut and put together. He wasn't wealthy. He was often living a humble life, living at the very goodness and hospitality of other people. 
And in one of the cruelest moments that we would ever see, those religious leaders unjustly judged Jesus without mercy, condemning him to die on a cross. And yet Jesus went through that whole path willingly and faithfully because he wanted to take your place for your sins. And in the end, who won? Just look at the evidence. The tomb is empty. And the risen Savior showed himself to hundreds of people. And that risen Savior is now risen and ascended to the very right hand of God where he is ruling over all things, including your heart and life. Who won? Jesus won. And because he won, you are now covered with God's favor and mercy, forgiven and made clean and new by the righteousness of Jesus. And the beautiful thing is that God does not show favoritism as though his forgiveness and new life is only for those in whom he sees merit, who have done good things and the right things. No, God simply states this in a beautiful, simple passage from John chapter 3 when he says, God so loved the world, not just some or others, but the world, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent Jesus for you and for every single one of us here. And so you see, there is no room for favoritism, but only room for God's grace and mercy. Jesus one day sat down next to a well and chatted with a woman who lived a scandalous and adulterous life. Jesus called on some greedy, traitorous tax collectors to be his disciples and to eat with him. Jesus praised an old widow who only offered up a few pennies worth of offering in the temple. Jesus had patience and compassion for crowds of people who came before him with broken bodies and broken hearts. Jesus chose a killer of Christians to be one of the greatest proclaimers of the good news of Jesus Christ and one of the greatest missionaries our world has ever seen. And yet Jesus was also friends with wealthy folks and he took time to sit and talk with the religious elite. But through it all, Jesus never once showed favoritism. He only loved the people who came before him. So what does this all mean for you? It means that you can love the people that God sets before you with the same kind of love and attitude that Jesus has towards you. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love them, not just like them, but love them with this agape, God-like love that is undeserved and unconditional, not asking for anything else in return. See others, whether they are rich or poor, great or small, different than you or the same as people who are loved by God, who are called by God, 
and sought by Him who are redeemed by God. Sit with them. Sit with someone who is less fortunate than you, who is different than you. Eat with them. Listen to them. Acknowledge them. Get uncomfortable for the sake of Jesus. Jesus was well known for and even was, was made fun of for hanging out with the poor and the outcasts and the sinners. But Jesus went into each of their homes and he ate with them. He talked with them and he listened to them and he prayed with them and he healed them and he forgave them. And they in turn loved him. And they became eternally rich through faith in Him. Know the undeserved grace and the mercy of God that is for you and the judgment that has been taken away because God judged Christ in your place. You are forgiven and free. May you show that same grace and mercy to the people that God puts in front of you each day. Because, my friends, there is no room for favoritism. Only God's grace and mercy. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support this ministry, please visit gracedowntown.org today. This grace is for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you peace.